0: Hello and welcome to the Brew Theology Podcast. This is Ryan Miller. And on today's episode number 20, we're going to be talking about Hanukkah, the feast or the festival of dedication. That's actually what Hanukkah means or Hanukkah. There's different ways to spell it, but the actual word means dedication. And it points back to the rededication of the temple Probably one of the coolest stories, I think there should be a movie made out of it. If there is one out there, please let me know. But if it's bad, don't let me know. I think Mel Gibson needs to probably get his hands on something like this. We're titling this Rogue One. These are the original Rebels. And so I'm going to be talking to my friends across the religious and theological spectrum tonight. And if you like the episode, please rate us on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Put a little review in there for the new year. We would appreciate that. And head over to brewtheology.org. That is our new website. Again, pretty easy. Brewtheology.org. Look at the different ways in which you can partner. So what we do on this episode, this is our Denver community. And so in our Denver pubs, we typically have about 8 to 10 people per group, multiple groups spread across uh, the pub, the brewery that we're at. And uh, we have two hour conversations. And so what we do on the podcast is we do about five to six people and we do about an hour uh, an hour kind of session gathering. And so it's a microcosm of that. So if you like what we're doing and you want to be a part of this, if you want to be a part of this alliance, this friendship, this network, we would love to have you. That's really the vision of this is we want to see what we're doing in Denver spread across this nation. Hey, You know, let's go global. Why not? So head over to brewtheology.org, and you can help uh, sponsor us. Uh, You can partner. You know, know, we want to start new groups. We want to crank out more curriculum. We want to provide you with training and with coaching. Uh, We want to support our local businesses here in Denver, and we want to give to organizations that matter. And so, two of the organizations that are dear to our heart are Denver the Table. It's an urban farming missional community that gives all of its vegetables away in South Denver. Huge fans of theirs. I'm not a big farmer myself, but I'm a part of that community. It's a really amazing uh, just ministry that's happening here in Denver. And on a global level, we want to give back to Charity Water. So if you've never heard of Charity Water, look them up. Uh, It's about giving clean water to people across the world who are thirsty. Um, So, again, check out BrewTheology.org. Follow us on Facebook at BrewTheology and Instagram at BrewTheology, along with Twitter. Brew underscore Theology. If you look at our partnerships, you'll notice that the first option is a Pilsner. The Pilsner level is $100 for the entire year. And you go to, you can kind of go up from there. You can do the Belgian Wit option, which is $250 a year. You can do the Porter, which is $500 a year. You can do the IPA, that's $1,000. Or the Whiskey Barrel Age Stout, and that's $2,000 per year. There are incentives for every level of partnership, to start these in your communities, and you get curriculum, you get coaching, you get the label. You People will be able to find you through the website and through our Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. We're going to share that together and give you guys massive shout-outs. There's also a leader guide that comes along with the uh, the Belgian Wit level. And so, again, look at the partnerships, the different levels, and uh, contact me, ryan at brewtheology.org, or you can email Janelle at Janelle at brewtheology.org. Enjoy this episode of Hanukkah, and we will see you later. Peace. All right, and welcome to another Brew Theology podcast. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Platt Park Brewing Company. We have uh, some great friendships over there. We have three crowlers tonight. One of them is the Oatmeal Stout, and then we have the Snuggie, which is a barley wine. Big fan of the barley wines. That's uh, a 10-percenter, or 11-percenter. And then we have the Red Imperial Whiskey Barrel Aged Ale, and that's either 10 or 11. When you're at 10 or 11%, I kind of get lost in the math, and your head does too. These are great beers. Platt Park hosts our remix gatherings every other week here in Denver. Great, family-friendly brewery. Love you guys. But, Ryan, what's a Crowler? Oh, a Crowler is a mix between a can and a growler. And the great thing about a growler is you don't have to drink it in 24 hours like a growler. You can wait five days or a week and then crack it open like a can of beer. So tonight we're going to be talking about Rogue One, the Hanukkah story, a Star Wars story. Some of us saw Star Wars last weekend. And, insert soundtrack. (laughs) We're going to do some brief introductions around the table and then read the content, diving into some questions. And we're already disagreeing before we press record, so you're going to see... Not to see, you'll hear disagreements tonight. So I'm Ryan, and I'm not Jewish, but I'm—I've uh, got a little bit of a wannabe Jew thing going on in me. And this happened about 10 years ago, as I was studying Leviticus. I grew up Southern Baptist, evangelical. Got rid of that label in that tribe about 18, 16, 18 years ago. Have uh, gleaned from Anabaptist and Methodist and Jewish resources and. Pentecostals, and the new label for the new year, which I said I was going to bring out last time. It's almost the end of the year next year, so here it is. Dan's been waiting two years for this, and I've been four years in the making of being more open and relational with my processy kind of a God, so I am now an evolving pro Anabaptist Method jew follower of Jesus. There I said it. Dan, are you happy?
1: Nice!
0: Only if you get process right. <laughs> You have to give a good witness.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Who's next? I guess I'll go next. I'm Andy. I grew up in an interfaith household. Um, So my dad's whole family is Jewish. My mom's whole family is Christian. I identify as a Christian as well, but I have a lot of uh, reverence towards the Jewish faith and that's a big part of my heritage as well. Um, I now work for the church, so I'm kind of inside the institution, but I also push against it and work outside of the church. So I float in a lot of interfaith and interreligious spaces, and I'm just happy to be here as part of this conversation.
3: So I'm Liz, and I was brought up as a, a Christian in a pretty um, non-specific way. And I was a devout Christian um, as a teenager, independently, um, till I was about 17. Then I became an atheist, and it was only a couple years ago that I really got into Buddhism. And it's only been maybe in the past six months that I've become like a regular practicing Buddhist. Um, but I will say that, for whatever it's, there was a time in my life where Everyone I was close to was Jewish, so I felt um, like I learned a lot, and I felt much closer to the culture and the faith and what people got out of it. And, and so um, I was pleased that that kind of informed a more pluralistic attitude. So I'm really interested in Judaism. I think it's cool. Um, Ryan and I read a book called *The Jew and the Lotus*, which is all about the intersectionality between Judaism and especially mystic Judaism and,
0: Such a and good Buddhism.
1: Book. It's really great. Highly so. recommended. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm Shoshana. I am full Jew, mom and dad, both Jewish, went to Jewish school for 13 years, so I like to say that I majored in Judaism growing up. I am still trying to figure out where Judaism has a role in my life now, because it was kind of a educational and social and religious, it was just such a mix of my whole world when I was growing up, and so I'm just kind of trying to figure out where it fits now.
4: Hi, my name is Dan Rosado. I grew up in the Pentecostal church, various denominations and non-denominations. I didn't know much about Judaism growing up. I never knew any Jews, except I, I was a part of an Assemblies of God congregation that also had a Messianic Jewish service. Like, there was a Messianic Jewish community there. But apart from that and the kind of weird appropriation of certain Jewish things within the Pentecostal tradition. I didn't know much about Judaism. But I don't consider myself that anymore. I'm still a Christian influenced by process philosophy and Eastern philosophy as well.
5: And I'm Megan. Um, I was brought up in an evangelical home um, about... I was about 11, 12, um, started learning more about world religions, um, found a fascination with Judaism, but slowly kind of lost uh, belief in God for a little while. And then um, while still a teenager, I converted to Mormonism, uh, was a very dedicated member of the LDS church, went on a Mormon mission, um, went to a church school, and then up until recently I... Uh, left that tradition about a year ago, and then um, have now been studying and uh, trying to figure things out. But it's nice to not have uh, have to force yourself to come to any decisions. Um, I have a passion for studying Judaism, and I study Hebrew and Torah with a local um, conservative synagogue. Um, and I grew up in New York, so I've been pretty exposed to Judaism, I'd say.
0: Excellent. So tonight should be fun. Sure. Y'all ready for some Hanukkah? Hanukkah.
1: Hanukkah. All right. so I like s- to actually call it chans. Chans? Because it's mm. not Hanukkah. It's Hanukkah. It's with a het. It's, it's with a het. Like a hey, not a het. And so, but people spell it C-H, which is like the het version. Mm. So just to joke around with mostly myself, I like to joke with myself, <laughs> I, call it, I call it chans for fun. Chans I'm wearing fit. my chanukkah. Makes me jump for oi, or joy. I'm not really sure. that dreidels could be a J. Sweatshirt, and I'm feeling really excited about that. So. So oh, someone <laughs> someone was really clever in that
3: design of that shirt.
1: Though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, well, we I actually got this it. sweatshirt. Sorry. I got this sweatshirt in North Carolina, like not during the holiday season. Wore it back at home. And my mom was like, oh, you found that in the basement? And I was like, no, I got it in North Carolina a new school. And she said, oh, we have t-shirts of that in the basement. And I was like, of course we do. Why wouldn't? Yes.
0: <laughs> I think I, I met you around this time last year, and I remember you wearing that sweatshirt oh, yeah. when we yeah. talked about Hanukkah a year ago. That's a great sweatshirt
4: We need to take a picture of it, including the show notes
0: There we go So Hanukkah, Hanukkah is a Jewish holiday That celebrates the miracle of the oil It is an 8 day celebration that commemorates A Jewish victory over tyranny And begins on the lunar month Kislev 25th, which is On Christmas Eve this year It Doesn't happen that often, at sunset To New Year's sunset uh, Yeah, 2017 Pretty, pretty cool The Hanukkah story is found in 1 Maccabees, that's the Apocrypha, and is the story of how Judas or Judah Maccabee and his band of freedom fighters overthrew the Seleucid forces under the rule of Antiochus Epiphanes during the 2nd century BCE. Hanukkah is not a biblical festival recorded in Hebrew scriptures as it began after the last books of the scriptures were completed. However, it is recognized in the Christian New Testament, John 10 as we see Rabbi Jesus going to the temple on this holiday. And it's unclear if he ate potato lockies, donuts, we don't know. That. They don't
3: specify that yeah. in the gospel, yeah. yeah.
0: Leading up to the miracle of Hanukkah, the Jews faced a king that took
2: away the most sacred practices. The Seleucid king forbade the observance of Sabbath, circumcision, festivals, and kosher diets. He also prohibited the study of Torah, desecrated the Jewish temple by erecting new shrines, sacrificing pigs, and taking away holy objects from the temple. In response to this, that Maccabees launched a revolution with this bold cry, Let everyone who is zealous for the Torah, and who stands by the covenant, follow after me.
3: Can I ask a question? <clears throat> who is the Seleucid king? Are we talking about the Babylonians, or like, These, what? Are, the,
0: these are the Greeks, so when the Greeks, the Greeks were kind of split up, and this was a, a kingdom within that kingdom. Okay. like syrians essentially. Yeah,
3: they were saying... yeah. Okay. okay, thank you. Yeah. After overthrowing the king, the Jews rededicated the temple, and for eight days held, held a consecration celebration. Uh, Hanukkah was born um, as a feast of dedication, remembering this particular devotion to Torah and to God's covenant with Israel, standing against lawlessness and fighting for justice. The lighting of the menorah symbolizes the light of God in the temple for his people. Uh, Tradition says that when the Jews dedicated the temple and lit the menorah, they only had oil for one day of the ceremony, but miraculously, that oil lasted for eight days and made it till the end.
1: Hanukkah became a winter memorial, Sukkot festival of booths, celebration, and eventually the palm branch, which is called the Lulav, which was waved during the fall holiday as a Hebrew sign stating, Lord save us, send us rain, eventually became the Jewish national eagle, sign of power that meant, Lord save us, kill the Greeks. 150 years later, during the time of Jesus, this palm branch symbolizes the following cry, Lord save us, kill the Romans. Some of the first century Jews living under the Roman Empire believed Jesus would be another zealous Maccabee who would restore Israel and renew Israel's kingdom.
4: One year, when Rabbi Jesus of Nazareth celebrated the festival of Sukkot in Jerusalem, John chapter 7, he makes the claim, I am the light of the world. Jesus then tells his followers, you are the light of the world. In memory of Hanukkah, this feast points to the rededication of the light slash temple, which is understood to bless the world. In the New Testament, the apostle tells Jesus' followers, y'all are the temple of God. And yes, Paul spoke Texan.
5: The festival is observed by, kindling, by the kindling of lights of a unique candelabrum, the nine-branch menorah, or Hanukkiah. One additional light is lit on each night of the holiday, progressing to eight on the final night. The typical menorah consists of eight branches with, a, with an additional visually distinct branch. The extra light is called a shamash, or attendant, um, the servant candle and is given a distinct location, usually above or below the rest. The purpose of the shamash is to have a light available for practical use, as using the the Hanukkah lights themselves for purposes other than publicizing and meditating upon Hanukkah is forbidden.
0: Hanukkah lights are meant to be seen from the street, either on a porch or in a window, to remind people to celebrate the miracle. Menorahs have also become an expressive art form in the Jewish tradition. During the celebration of Hanukkah, there are practical ways people celebrate. One is to eat foods that are prepared with oil, thereby celebrating the miracle of oil. Potato latkes are a staple as well as donuts and baked goods. During Hanukkah, gifts are given to family members and friends. Small gifts are often given each day of the celebration. Other families save up uh, the small gifts and they give one big gift on the eighth day. Another fun tradition is playing with the dreidel, a four-sided spinning top. The
2: top may have been used as a way to hide gatherings used to study Torah during the oppression. When caught studying, they could easily pretend to be playing a game instead. Fundrable games easily spell out the Hanukkah story for Jewish children with the Hebrew letters Nun, Gemel, Hef, and Shin on dice spinners, which is an acronym for the Hebrew phrase Nesgedal Hayasham, meaning a great miracle happened there. It is a great way to teach kids and adults the story of the dedication. Spin the top to see if Nun, you get nothing, Gemel, you get the pot, you get half of the pot. Shin, you share the pot.
1: So fun fact about the dreidel is, in America, it says, outside of Israel, it says, hayah Sham, which means a great miracle happened there. But if you get a dreidel in Israel, it says, hayah po, and Po means here. And so you can tell where it's from, which is kind of a fun little thing. Yeah, nice. So the blessing of the candles goes something like this.
4: <clears throat>
3: we kindle these lights for the miracles and the wonders, for the redemption and the battles, that you made for our forefathers in those days of this season through your holy priest. During all eight days of Hanukkah, these lights are sacred, and we are not permitted to make ordinary use of them, except for to look at them in order to express thanks and praise to your great name for your miracles, your wonders, and your salvations. You can also read Psalm 30, 67,
0: and 91 at the end of each evening. Okay, so let's uh, first talk about how many of us here celebrated Hanukkah growing up, and what was it like? Or if you didn't celebrate it, did you have friends that did? Did you know anything about it? What's your what's your history growing up regarding this holiday, if any?
5: I had friends that grew up celebrating Hanukkah. Um, in fact, one of my one of my closest friends now, my, my friend, she... Well, her family's Jewish. She's not really practicing. But um, I remember going over. We didn't even let her know. We just ate latkes, and that's how we celebrated. <laughs> so... Um, but I, I uh, have been to a, a menorah lighting through Chabad, um, and they put on some really cool um, Hanukkah events. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a great way to connect with the Jewish community. And is Chabad, you said they were in, um, like a nationwide organization? Oh, yeah, but now they're officially to... in all 50 states. They just, I think, like two weeks ago,
1: it's actually an like international organization yeah. as well.
5: Yeah. yeah. But they, where was it they put it when, like, they finally got their last rave in, like, Montana, like, two weeks ago. So oh, they're, nice. like, in every state now. Yeah. So I think Megan was
3: telling me last week that if, if anyone is ever interested in going to Seder or going to the um, Hanukkah celebrations or mm-hmm. Rosh Hashanah or whatever, Hawat is, is a Rosh great Rosh. Organi- organization to, um, they have open events for anyone who's curious. So um, I had... Um, I was at one, part, one point part of family celebrations that included Hanukkah, so that was fun. But it was only for a couple of years.
2: But. Yeah, when I was younger, um, we celebrated. I was exposed to both Christianity and Judaism. And so we had a menorah, and we went through um, the ritual around that as well as rituals around Christmas. Um, as we got older, it just kind of became more a family thing and less of a theological or religious thing. And then by the time that uh, folks started graduating from high school and moving out, we don't really as a family anymore. So, I mean, I've still got a menorah. My grandson Menorah goes out holiday season every year, um, but not a whole lot of sacred ritual that goes along with it.
1: So, growing up Jewish, Hanukkah was a big part of, just like any Jewish uh, holiday, Hanukkah was a big part of my childhood. Um, and it looked really different. So, I have some, you know, because I went to Jewish school, a lot of my friends were Jewish, so they have their own traditions. So, I have one close friend, and her mom and her best friend from growing up make spent a whole day making latkes, which are these like, Thin potato pancakes all day long. House smells of oil. Um, yeah, I mean Hanukkah can look really different. We definitely let the candles. Our tradition and the way that I was raised to know it was that we keep our menorah in the windowsill so you can always see that we're celebrating. And that's something that I do now. I have it like always resting in my windowsill, even when it's not Hanukkah. Um, I think that's kind of just a proud of being Jewish component. And I think also a lot of it was the Jews are persecuted. Part of the story is that Jews are persecuted. And so to kind of regain that strength and pride and saying, you know, like, there's nothing that's going to stop us from practicing. And we're going to put it where everybody's going to see it. Um, yeah, and just kind of celebration around food and being with people and going over to different houses and just eating a lot and spending time together.
4: Like I said, I didn't grow up knowing any Jewish people, so...
0: No stories whatsoever.
3: <laughs> you weren't there. You weren't in Israel during Hanukkah. You were there in the summer, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't. I, I didn't grow up celebrating Hanukkah. I, I do have a Jewish uncle, but he celebrated Christmas with us. And for the most part, you know, our, our upbringing did not, um, didn't really even appropriate any Jewish holidays, for that matter. I mean, it was very. I don't. I don't want to say that my upbringing was. It was not anti-Semitic, but I think the heritage. Of the Southern Baptist Church, just kind of like we're going to do our own thing, and it wasn't until in ministry, after seminary later on, that I fell in love with the Jewish holidays, and so I started getting, doing more of what I'm sure half of you would disagree with me, appropriating these holidays and seeing Jesus in them, and so I've been I've been lighting the menorah for years now, and doing liturgy, and spinning the dreidel, and teaching Caroline. She's got a Hanukkah bear. You know, she likes her dreidel bear and he's cute. So, th- I actually, I, I, I was telling Andy earlier before this that I, I wrote a children's story for Caroline about Jesus in Hanukkah. Hopefully, it'll come around Hanukkah. But. So, what do you guys think about this? Let's, let's just dive into that. Uh, so, <laughs> the, the, the co celebrating, and you've got Christmas, which we're not going to, we're trying not to talk about Christmas and Advent, but we'll recognize that people around the circle celebrate that. And then we have Hanukkah, which is... It's kind of fun that it's around the same time this year. Is it okay to celebrate both? I'm curious to hear, uh, from Shoshana's perspective, too, if a Christian like myself celebrates Hanukkah and Christmas. What do you think about that?
1: So, from a personal perspective, I don't care what you do in your house. You know what I mean? It's like, you want to do that, you're not hurting anybody, you're not hurting yourself, light the candles, go for it. You know what I mean? I think, um... I mean, you bring light dress. What's What's the problem there? I think that... I think that they, the thing that's tricky about Christmas and Hanukkah is it's, it's almost like, why are they competing? It doesn't need to be... They shouldn't be competing. It's, why would holidays ever need to be competing? They're about completely different things. Like, story-wise, they're just about different things, but they happen to fall around the same time. If Hanukkah happened to be in April, or we celebrated in April, we would never talk about it in the way that we talk about it with Christmas because it's just not similar. But because we live in America and Christmas is very much in become kind of like a commercialized social. I mean, I know a lot of people who like did weren't religious at all, but like, yeah, of course we do Christmas. Um, and I know Jews who are like, yeah, we do Christmas. And it's like, from a religious perspective, it's like, why would you do that? It's like, Oh, cause we, I want to light like the tree and celebrate with family and have dinner. It's like, okay, great. Do that. Okay. Um, I think that, no, i think it's different because you really understand like you're celebrating with the power of the story because you like to educate yourself on that um and like who am i to say that, that you can't celebrate that i think there are a lot of people who maybe people who have a different perspective on um kind of jewish tradition might say that it's not necessarily appropriate for you to kind of like take those um, traditions because they're not yours to take if we're going to like use that language. Yeah. Um, and might question how that values or devalues the yeah. religious component of it. I think, just to throw like a thing out there, I think one thing that this makes me think of is like, the Hanukkah bush. It's like, oh, do you have a Hanukkah bush? It's like, of course I don't have a Hanukkah bush. What is that? <laughs> um, what does that mean? So, a Hanukkah bush is a smaller version of a Christmas tree. Like a Christmas tree. It's, it's a Christmas tree. It's a Christmas... Tree.
4: And, of course, it's smaller. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's a Christmas tree um, that has more blue on it
3: yeah. than red yeah. and green. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's exactly the same thing. And I think it's a way where, in my personal experience of seeing it, where families who were interfaith wanted to um, celebrate and appreciate both religions, so they kind of used that as a middle ground. Yeah. Um... And then I think other people adopted other Jews who had both parents who were Jewish adopted that because they kind of liked it. Uh, but I don't think anybody's questioning them on like, should you really be celebrating Christmas? Yeah. It's Like I don't
0: know. Yeah. Well, this this time of year, you Christmas clearly in America is. I mean, it's a it's beyond anything that we we probably ever would have imagined that it would be fifty years ago, hundred years ago. It's crazy. It's intense. But there is that competition, commercially speaking. We talked about that in our group last week where we have the Hanukkah ugly sweaters now. And mm-hmm. like you're saying, you have this Hanukkah bush. And you go around, you can see like the Christmas lights now with Hanukkah lights at people's windows. And that's, yeah, I mean, which, all that's fine. But the competition thing is, it's strange. I don't like any of the competition.
1: Well, it just completely devalues the holiday. It's like, why would these be in competition? It's not like anybody at the end of this is like, you know, what? I actually like Christmas better, so I'm going to all of a sudden, like, be a devout Christian. Or, like, you know what, I'm really into lighting the candles, so I'm going to just, like, do the Jew, you
0: know? So I think it, it it messed with people of my tradition when I would take pictures back when we had iPhones and all that with a menorah and a Christmas tree. They, they didn't know what to do with that. But then after a while, oh, that's just Ryan doing his thing. But why can't we live in the tension of, yeah, you can do both?
2: I think there's a difference between admiration and appropriation, and I think as Christians we feel very comfortable appropriating Judaism. We won't appropriate, say, um, indigenous religions, so we won't do we also, sorry, that again. appropriate religious traditions from, say, the indigenous population in the US. We won't do sacred dances and rituals around that. We won't appropriate Baha'i. Hinduism, Baha'i, Buddhism, but we say, oh, Judaism, we can appropriate that because we're kind of the same thing, so it's okay. I, I really struggle with that. I don't think that it's fair to the community itself if we're going to say I, as an outsider, get to take this and make it part of me.
3: Well, I think it's it's tricky to, because in some ways we live in a really postmodern society. Like, um, and and I know that you know everyone in this room has you know the very best of intentions. But I remember I went to um, what used to be Constantinople, and is now Istanbul, and um, went with. <clears throat> a whole group of ladies, a bunch of whom were Jewish, and we'd go, and we'd go to the Byzantine um, churches with the frescoes, and there'd be, like, Jacob's Ladder with, like, Jesus's face at the top. And my friend was like, what is that? And I'm like, oh, it didn't... I mean, it's because in the Christian world, Christians basically said the Old Testament is all just leaned up to Jesus. And so, unfortunately... Like personally, it's it's a beautiful could be really beautiful and respectful, but it's coming out of a long tradition of, and and unfortunately, I mean it comes it came comes with baggage, right? So Constantinople, it's not just Jesus is at the top of Jacob's ladder, but it's like the Jews were expelled from this country and that country and that country and that country, and and, you know, so it's it's got baggage, I'm afraid, so which makes it tricky.
1: Well, I was just gonna say, I think, you know, one argument is also the kind of persecution aspect of that so historically if I'm lighting my candles I might be persecuted for being Jewish but if you're lighting your candles like oh no no I just think it's cool I'm not really Jewish no worries I'll just like I'll just blow these out no problem it's like you'll be fine but I won't especially within this story and then also historically with things and so I think that's where things can get tricky where you're not having to sacrifice anything to be able to express That religious component, but...
0: Yeah, so do we we have to feel like within any religious celebration or dedication... This is the dedication. This is a remembrance of a time when a a group of people were oppressed and they overcame tyranny, cleansed the temple. And so, yeah, there's a lot of that persecuted element there. Do we have to feel like we're sacrificing something to celebrate something? Because if that's the case, none of us in this room that I know of at least are sacrificing much right now.
5: But I feel like there's a difference between recognizing and respecting somebody else's sacrifice and and then like making yourself sacrifice for it. It like it's like just, just exactly what Shoshana was saying, like, oh, you know, I can light the candles um, it without feeling persecution. There's a fine line, I think, between recognizing what someone went through because you can try to appreciate something. Like I know a lot of people that will I know a lot of people that have changed prayers in Hebrew that are sacred prayers and incorporated Jesus in, in, in there and that's fine, and you know, people can can, you know, do what they want to find to, to to help them grow spiritually but but it's like if you're not recognizing maybe where that came, where that came from or what that prayer was supposed to mean or how sacred it's supposed to be, um, it's like it's like kind of almost disrespecting it in a way if you're not recognizing how much sacrifice went into something.
0: And I, without, and I, I totally understand that. And uh-huh. I, I respect that. I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'm making more of a comment of our current situation today, all mm-hmm. of us drinking craft beer around a table with a microphone where we get to freely speak our mind on the interweb and we're not worried about somebody knocking on our door tomorrow. Sure, it's but was
1: sacrifice, we're allowed to do this because sacrifice happened, right? Yes. Like, yes, Especially from a Jewish perspective, and let's talk, like, just to bring up the Holocaust, I personally didn't have any family that was in the Holocaust in the way of, like, being in camps, but my family's from Austria, and going to Jewish school, a lot of my friends' grandparents were in the Holocaust, or family friends were in the Holocaust, and they fought to keep text and to keep menorahs, We you know what they looked like, or to keep Traditions alive, even though they were being persecuted, and they knew that they would get further persecuted to do that. So we would be able to sit all together and have these discussions. Mm-hmm. I mean, that wasn't like, oh, you know, well, actually, it would be more so we could keep the Jews continuing their Jewish faith. So that's a little <laughs> later. <laughs> <laughs> but to be able to be able to celebrate my Judaism freely, yeah. that's a sacrifice. And hopefully, you're not going to have to sacrifice forever, right? Hopefully, you'll yeah. be able to make those sacrifices and then come to a place of peace and. Um, and freedom in religiosity and in a lot of other things and so i think that yes we're lucky enough that we're not sacrificing now but within a lot of these different stories sacrifice had to happen for us to get to this position right now sure
2: and i wonder if part of this conversation also just is a self-imposed identity versus an externally imposed identity Um, so you as somebody who says you want to celebrate both hanukkah and christmas at the same time you can impose that identity of I'm going to be part of this Jewish heritage, this story, Um, but you don't have to worry about somebody outside saying this is who you are. And so when you look at Mm anti-Semitism, you're not a target of that, whereas somebody who is Jewish is more of a target of that. And so you get to kind of turn it on, turn it off, whereas people who are from this tradition don't get that option. And so that's another kind of just discord for me is choosing when you're going to appropriate that, when you're going to allow that to be part of your faith, and when you're going to push that identity away and
0: so it's not your identity. Does, does anybody else find this ironic, that the actual story is Maccabees, which is not in a canon of... It is in the Talmud. I'll t- it's in the Talmud. It's not in the Tanakh, okay? The story of, of the miracle of the oil is in the Talmud, but the story of Maccabees, the actual... Where it starts is in Roman Catholic literature. Protestants have disregarded it. We're slowly going, oh, the Catholics have some good stories. We should read that. But the Jews don't hold that in the Tanakh. They have they have stories about it in the Talmud with rabbis wrestling. So does anybody else find that to be ironic that I don't know of any Catholics, I'm not a Catholic, who celebrates Hanukkah, but that's their story. They're the ones that put it in their canon. The Jews said, no, no, it's a violent story. It's. I mean, when you think about this, and I'm curious what you, what you all think about this too, and, and especially, you know, Shoshana, I don't want to target you, but <laughs> hey, you're the one with the experience here you have a story of people who yes they overcame tyranny but when they finally got their temple back um you know they were zealous and they they were almost what we would call uh, fundamentalist religious freaks today to a degree yes they, they brought back you know the temple in jerusalem all the great things there but if others weren't circumcised they would circumcise their kids for them and they would they were killing some jewish people who had assimilated into the syncretist faith mm-hmm. and so and that's what we are we're you know, america we're all kind of pluralist, and we've taken a bit of this and that and appropriated this. We're all syncretists. But those Jews of, of this time, this era, were like, no. We, and you see this a lot in the Hebrew Scriptures. We're cleansing the house, and you will be true to this faith.
1: It's a passionate group. Yeah.
0: yeah. But then they decided, we're not going to put that in our canon. We're...
5: <laughs> well, the actual menorah lining, the story of uh, actual burning of the oil wasn't in, was in, um re- wasn't written down until I think it was like
0: 200 years after. Right, so that's in the town. So, that um, happens
5: later. But the war was written down. The, the war, war was is legit.
0: Very violent,
4: yes.
5: Yeah.
4: So, I, I'm kind of curious, and I'll open up just the question of the whole group. Do you think a more authentic, like if if this is important enough to, to you to want to celebrate Hanukkah, is it a more authentic way maybe to find Jewish friends or a Jewish community and celebrate together with them as in solidarity rather than doing it at home and doing your own thing.
1: Sure, so, and I spoke spoke about this in the um, paganism podcast that we had, but for me as a Jew who went to religious school Hanukkah's not really a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a lot of holidays and we celebrate them all. Where we celebrate most of them, um, so Hanukkah for me isn't this like big symbol of overcoming. I mean, for me, it's like classic Jewish story: we were persecuted, we prevailed, and we're still doing it. We're still, yeah. doing it. we're still doing it. It's like that's kind it's of same Passover. Story. I mean, like yeah. just keep you know what I mean? It's, it's it's just the root of the Jewish narrative, and so.
4: But let's expand it, it to, to some other yeah, like Yom Kippur. Or or something that's maybe more significant.
1: Right, so Yom Kippur, for me, is a very important holiday.
0: That's where it's at. That's the dedication.
1: Yeah. Um, Rosh Hashanah, I think, is an important holiday. And Passover. is I mean, I think there are a lot of other holidays that hold more reverence and significance and are more impactful, Sukkot even. I think that... Mm -hmm. Yeah,
4: But is there a way for an outsider, if you will, a Gentile, to Go come alongside some Jewish friends and observe or celebrate more significant Jewish holidays? Is there is there room for that, I guess? I,
1: I think there is room for that because I've been involved in interfaith dialogue for a really long time. So, for instance, freshman year of college, I always brought... Not always, but I had a lot of very devout Christian friends, and they would come to services with me. They would open up the book. They would pray with me. I brought my roommate to Yom Kippur services, Kol Nidri the night before, or like the eve of Yom Kippur when it officially starts. Um, I always think, I mean, it's just, I think it's really special to see other religions. I've always been interested in that, and so I like to do that. So I think it's important to encourage other people or ask people if they want to have that experience to come do it with me, Judaism has been a huge part of my life. So I think for me, it's almost like, Oh, come see this. Come see me dance. Come see me. Like Mm -hmm. come, come come experience this with me. I think that especially, I love that you asked that question because I think Hanukkah is a good example that that explains Hanukkah in a good way because Hanukkah isn't, there's not much to see. You come over, we light the candles and then maybe we sit around and have some traditionally, Hanukkah food, but we're, we're doing that every week on Friday night for Shabbat, so it's not really that much of a huge celebration. I think Yom Kippur, you're going to see a lot more of the tradition and the impact that it has on internal reflection or the way that Jews might experience that holiday in general. Rosh Hashanah is the same kind of thing, Passover is definitely the same kind of thing. I think that Hanukkah isn't showing so much to somebody looking in from the outside, I always love when people can celebrate with me but I don't think that's necessarily a eye opening celebration because there's not a ton to it. Because
4: I'd be more open to celebrating other holidays in that manner. Like we did with the Sikh service, right? We went there and we were somewhat a part of of the service and of the festivities but it wasn't like we were out there cooking Indian food. But that's just me personally.
1: So that's a good question. I want to ask Brian, because we touched on this at the beginning. Why bring up Sukkot? Why where did that connection come from?
0: Oh Sukkot and Hanukkah? Yeah. Oh just sure. historically how I mean within the time frame of first so first century second temple Judaism is for me it's like my nerd session. I love to go there. As a follower of, of Jesus, or let's just call him Rabbi Yeshua here, why not? <laughs> and so I, I think that the uh, that back of the palm branch is goes back to goes back to Hanukkah, and so for me, like when you have Jesus coming into Jerusalem, and there are palm branches there. I mean, I think that and Andy may disagree with me, but I really feel like there. Anybody who knows Jewish literature and the stories of Hanukkah and all the festivals of Sukkot, all the ones that you've mentioned, even you, you understand that they want Jesus to be a hammer. They want him to be Judah Maccabee, and he says no, and. That's 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 always the part of the story. The liberator has to overcome the ones in power. Who's in power?
1: David and, and yeah. Yeah,
0: the, the Romans are in power, and so that's where that's where the connection is for me. Okay. And so I. But and, the, and Sukho for, doesn't. Sukho what?
1: I don't know. It's interesting hearing you describe um, like the lulav, which is like the film, yep. as this kind of like symbol of strength. Yeah. Because for me, I've always seen it as this internal connection with God. So. You shake it up, you shake it down, you shake it left, you shake it right, you shake it all around. That's kind of like the whole little jingle, yeah. and it's all about like God is here, God's everywhere, um, yes. and it talks about like which is this a great is, fine. This is the- Yes. And so for me, it's it just in my personal experience of the holiday, it hasn't necessarily represented the same kind
0: of good for you ruach You don't seem like a like zealot. Spirit. You seem like a sweet spirit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think no, I think there's a lot of like power um, and passion in a lot of Jewish figures, but Sukkot has never really been. A symbol of that for me. So it's just interesting to hear that perspective of it. So
4: for someone who's more ignorant
0: on Jewish festivals, what is Sukkot exactly?
1: Sukkot is like the festival it's like a harvest festival, so it's kind of um it's celebrating
0: And that's why you wave the branch, Lord send us rain. Thank you for the harvest season. Yeah. We're gonna start um, this over again.
1: They have this so you build what's called a sukkah and it's a three walled structure. It's the way that we make it. It's a bunch of two whiteboards <laughs> that are tall, and you put tarp on the outside. And we had these like funny fruit magnets um, <laughs> on like the metal connecting them. And then it has what's called skach and it's um, basically branches over the top because you're supposed to sleep in it. and You want to be able to see the stars through. And then the fourth wall is always something that can be opened. So the idea is that you're always inviting people into your home and to kind of like learn and celebrate, or just like be, or have a place to stay, or be with you.
0: That's kind of, that That was my always my personal understanding of the way the holiday was. Yeah. I think the beauty of that, too, is a goyim, outside of you, the Gentiles, is that there is that in-gathering of all nations, Have hey, come, be with us, be part of us, but here's the beauty of Judaism, which I wish that my heritage growing up understood, it isn't a come and see so we can convert you. Yeah, And even Rabbi Stephen had said that when he was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. He's like, no, come and see and experience it and taste this and, you know, dance and wave the, the, the palm branch. But we're not trying to get you to believe what we believe so that you can have a better afterlife. Whereas the appropriation for a lot of us Christians within these Jewish holidays would be, we want to understand these so that we can bring Liz over to our side because yeah. she's in the dark. Like in an apologetics uh, 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 kind of situation. Yeah, yeah. But I think two components <laughs> of that, and I'm
1: sorry to, like, keep chatting. Um, but I think two components of that is one... We have this idea that your neshama, your soul, is Jewish from the start. So if you're going to be... if
0: You you said a if, word that you said really fast. Yes. Before you said soul. Like, what, what, what was, was it? it? I was
1: talking in English. Hebrew, just
0: well, <laughs> is,
1: is it a Hebrew word or was it Hebrew, Hebrew? It was Hebrew. It was Hebrew. Yeah, I talk... Yeah. I can't even understand what I'm speaking in English. So neshama, which means your soul. Okay. So the idea is that your neshama, your soul, is... And I said it fast a second time just to keep <laughs> us on our toes. No worries. <laughs> um, is Jewish from... Utero, if you will, for birth or whatever, depending what. I'm not even into that. Constitutionally, <laughs> yeah. when you're when you fresh out, you are still you're Jew regardless of if you're presenting as a Jew or not. So the idea is that there's no there's no incentive or pull to encourage you to convert because if you're going to convert, it's going to happen anyways because your soul's already Jewish and so it's going to oh. come. So kind
0: of you guys are Calvinists. <laughs>
1: like a I don't know what yeah. <laughs> second component of
0: that, is, <laughs>
1: <right>. or a <laughs> Calvinist.
0: Yeah, right, right. Jewish, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who came first? Because Dan, Dan loves the Calvinists.
1: <laughs> a second component of that is that we don't have heaven and hell the same way. So if we don't have heaven and hell the same way, then there's no salvation component of that. that I don't... Yeah. I don't want you to become Jewish because that's going to help you get to heaven because that's what, is heaven here? Is it there? Yeah, yeah. So it's not even part of the conversation. No. Uh,
5: there's also, I mean, I study with um, with a conservative synagogue, but I'm, I mean, I thought about converting, but I'm not converting, um, but I just have a passion for studying Torah. And um, I remember, I, I mean, I know a lot of converts that have converted to, to Judaism. And... A lot of them has said, "Oh well, you can, you know, Jews. There's a lot. There's this belief that some of the souls were lost. So some of the souls that are Jewish were were lost. And so maybe this is your soul because there's there's a lot more to get into. But um, you know, maybe I have a Jewish soul, or you know." Maybe somebody else here has your soul. You don't know. Um, and you'll some. You know, people say, "Oh, well, you'll know, or you'll feel it, or you, you know, if it's right for you." But it's not something where you're going to, you know, they're going to push you to. And like, I'm able to study, and you know, I said, "Hey, you know, what? I'm not sure if I'm going to convert," and they're like, "That's fine. You know, like, come celebrate Sukkot with us." And you know, it's 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 a lot more. I think because there's such a focus on education as well in Judaism. Um, they Jews want people to know more about Judaism as well. Not to, not to even be a Jew, but just to understand more. There's a lot of people that don't know.
0: Let's talk about two more topics, if, if we can. There's so much to talk about within Hanukkah. One of the aspects is obviously the, the, and you had talked about this. It's in the Talmud, the the miracle of the oil, which seems to be the big part of the story where. You know, a little bit of oil lasted eight days. That's the miracle that happened there. Or if you're in Jerusalem, oh, here. And, and then you have uh, this other part of the story that I want to talk about. And I don't know where you all want to go. It's the persecuted people. And it's the people who, like us, who are not persecuted per se, to stand in solidarity. And we talked about this a little bit at the pub last week. And I think this is an important topic. You have a people. They can't get circumcised and if they do I mean you have somebody who's like a watchdog we don't know we weren't there but somebody who's saying you can't get circumcised you can't read Torah so they're spitting the dreidel we don't know if that happened but it's a great story okay and then you can't you can't celebrate in your temple we're gonna throw pig bones on your altar we're gonna put this Epiphanies guy and erect his statue there. I mean, that's some, that's some pretty deep persecution. We don't have that in America, but but is there persecution today that we can then stand in solidarity with? What does it mean to overcome those who are tyrants and who are oppressive? And this is Andy's hot-button topic, so I want to hear from Andy first.
2: So I would say there's a danger with using that uh, S-word, solidarity, and that in order to be in solidarity, you have to know the community that you're in solidarity with. Um, so to say, I'm going to be in solidarity with the Jews, but not know a Jew, doesn't really work. To say, I'm going to be in solidarity with refugees, but never take the time to be refugees in your community, doesn't work. So yes, there are people who are being persecuted. There is anti-Semitism that is very real. Um, the election of our current president-elect has shown us its ugly face much more so than we've seen recently. Um, but no, don't say you're in solidarity unless you're actually meeting in the community, unless you actually are going to be on the ground with people who are experiencing that persecution and oppression. Because otherwise it's, it's an empty,
0: it's, it's cheap grace. It's cheap actions, cheap words that don't really do anything. That's my... So beyond a Facebook post, Twitter post, Instagram picture, what then can we do with people of privilege? And which group, like, let's talk about groups right now. I mean, so we talked about this last week, Standing
2: Rock. I mean, it's really easy to say you're in solidarity with people in Standing Rock without ever meeting a Native person, without ever actually knowing what's going on in Standing Rock, or knowing that in Colorado, we have a terrible history of how we treated the Indigenous people. Um, it's, it's way too easy to say you're in solidarity without actually meeting the people who need you to be in solidarity with them.
3: What about if you never met a Native person, though, but you sign you the petitions and you, and you call your Congress people and you donate money? I mean, that's solidarity. I,
2: I think that's helpful. I think you're doing it for an abstraction. Right. You're doing it for sure. not, a, not a fully formed person, you're doing it for an idea. This is a person who needs my help, needs right. my charity, needs my phone calls to change the law so that they yeah. get better, but it's still, you're they not engaging think- them as a, I would say it's objectifying that person, they're, they're not even a person, they're just something yeah, to make concept. you feel better, they're concepts, whereas if you go to, you know, the, the Four Winds or Four Directions churches here, or communities here, or the Native groups that are in Denver, um, they'll tell you what they need. They'll say, here's what you can do right now to help us with our struggles. Um, and usually it doesn't have the same things as what you read on Facebook saying do X, Y, or Z. Um, they have a much better idea of, well, no, we need clothes for our homeless Native people who live in Denver. That's the need. Um, so, yeah.
3: Well, I'd like to – can I take a step back, yes, too? And even, no, not at all, no. My, but my question is just something that when we introduce this particular topic, which is that that this idea of you know scattering the pig bones and you can't get circumcised and that kind of stuff doesn't happen in the United States. But actually where our table went last week is – um, how problematic is it when you expect, you know, we live in the great, the great melting pot, right, in the United States. I'm, I'm putting up air quotes for those of you listening at home. <laughs> but, um, you know, like, uh, how is, you know, part of oppression, maybe, or maybe not, is the idea of assimilation. Like, you, can, you, can, you know, you can be Jewish all you want as long as you don't, you don't circumcise your, your boys. That's fine. You're still, whatever. What does it matter? You know what I mean? Like, fit in. Don't make us uncomfortable you know do what we do you know and that's that's an interesting question between you know a mosaic of people versus a melting pot versus and you know and yet at the same time and that goes back to this question about um is it appropriate to celebrate multiple holidays in solidarity or in interest or in the purpose of educating yourself about other people around you so that you don't feel like oh this person is so different than me I'm really weirded out by this. Why, why don't you just celebrate Christmas like the rest of us? Like,
4: <laughs> you know. At our table last week, we, I think the topic that that came up that kind of launched that conversation was with burkas and hijabs in different European countries and how they're, you know, properly dealing with it or how they're completely screwing it up. And it was really interesting For in chance. terms of assimilation of. You know, things that, an outwardly expression of your faith, which Christianity doesn't have so much anymore. You know, it's not in America.
3: Or it's it's in the background because it's more mainstream, mm-hmm. even though it's not.
5: I've I got a question. Um, I mean, what, what exactly does it even mean to be in solidarity then with somebody? Because you can support somebody even though you're not making it your personal mission. Does it mean you should, like, does it make it cheap your your support your donation your words your um i don't know letters you write if you're not if you don't consider that you're in solidarity but you have 10 minutes so why not put those 10 minutes to use and write a letter or
0: and i don't i think you when you said insignificant and i think of the word intention and so Uh last couple weeks ago when rabbi stephen was here he talked about kavanah which is that's yeah that's the heart that's that's I mean, and yogis do this too And there's always that when you're doing yoga this intent, what are you focusing on
3: or the eightfold path, right, right action, right intent right effort,
0: yeah. whereas growing up a lot of the time we would say well, you gotta read your bible and you gotta say your prayers and you gotta feed the poor and it was all these boom boom And did, did I do it? it's almost like the kid who gets the stars on the board and then he goes to school and he gets the prize Which yeah. but if you have the five ten minutes and your heart's in it, yes, I personally I'm gonna vote for solidarity you might disagree with me, but if you have the five minutes and that's all that you have, if your heart's in the right place, yeah.
1: To me, solidarity always sound, felt more like you needed to be, in some ways, willing to make the sacrifices or put yourself in a position where you might similarly be persecuted, right? So if I'm if I'm sending money or I'm making a phone call to my congressperson, I'm doing that from the comfort of my home, and if anybody finds out about it or I sign a petition, oh well i can I can always have the comfort of saying oh, i didn't make that phone call or i didn 't write my name down no if i 'm on the ground and i'm willing to be arrested because i'm- because pro- i 'm also protesting or i 'm willing to be in a place where I might lose my job because my job doesn't think that it's appropriate for me to be making these uh, statements that's solidarity that's taking the risk and allowing yourself to actually sacrifice your own comfort to to be on those same lines with somebody else who is not awarded the privilege of the comfort that you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good word. Yeah.
2: yeah, I mean, something similar to that, what came to my mind is there's a push right now with Christian clergy, um, if there is a Muslim registry that comes out, that they're going to register as Muslims, even though they're not Muslims, to say that whatever you do to Muslim Americans is going to happen to me. And so, yeah, I agree. It's, it's power to investment. It's saying that as a person of privilege, I'm going to get rid of that privilege or as much as possible and say I'm going to put myself in a situation that is what your lived experience is, and I will make sure that whatever you're experiencing, I'm experiencing. Um, and I, I didn't mean to say that anything less than that is cheap. I was a little fired up there, <laughs> so I'm going to walk that turn back a little bit. Um,
4: but I think there's a connection here with what I was saying, um, with wanting to celebrate some other religious groups, you know, holiday, that you kind of approach the group and you ask them, like, How can I be a part of this rather than, I mean, there's people that, you know, maybe they didn't give money because they didn't have any. So they show up at Standing Rock or at Cannonball Camp or whatever, Mm -hmm. and they're getting in the way. But they're there. So they're probably thinking, well, I'm better than the guy that's giving $100 to the Standing Rock suit. Mm -hmm. But really, they're in the way. I think you can be there physically present and still be a problem. (laughs) For sure. Right. sure. The
3: road to hell is paved with good intentions. You know, I mean, it, there's intention and then there's also stepping out and, and asking the question. And this goes interpersonally and it goes societally. What do you need? What is this like for you? It's This is like it for me. And being able to um, not just have the good intention, but manifest it in a way that's actually I helpful think, yeah. and actually it's, changes something.
4: I, I think what Andy said is, is important, or at least is what I think you said, <laughs> was bas- basically to like humanize or... or <clears throat> Yeah. yeah, to humanize people and causes and not just right. have this abstract thing. I think that's right. Make it incarnate.
3: It's too yes. easy. And then it's, and then it's too easy to get caught up in your own feelings about it. And then you have a relationship with your own feelings of goodness and good-heartedness and not an actual relationship with another human being or a group of people. And this is talking from someone who deeply
4: struggles with this, oh, especially yes. with the um, Dakota Access Pipeline.
1: This makes me think of a question that I wrestle with myself often about often for religion, but I've also thought about this in the terms of Southern southern hospitality in the sense of, okay, so if people are being, uh, um, if people are appearing to be kind to each other, or people are going out of their way to provide support in a lot of different, like, well, church groups are going to go somewhere and they're going to do service, or they're going to, this, homes. We're gonna yeah we're gonna rebuild homes. we our church is gonna do a drive this Sunday. We're gonna raise all this money. Yada yada yada. Something I've always asked is like okay well if if your if your manners are that you're just you seem nice, is that but it's not genuine. But you're still making people feel appreciated and feel like they're human when you're looking them in the eye and you're saying hey how are you when you're walking down the street. But you don't. That's not a value that you hold until like see that person. But you just know that you're supposed to do that. Is that they're still doing it? So is that really wrong? Or mm-hmm. the same thing with the. From the religious perspective, it's like, maybe they have alternative motives where they're like, oh, I just think that I'm being a good Christian. And so it's not necessarily about, it's maybe it's not about helping those people, but about doing that checklist, getting those gold stars, going to school. But they're still doing those great things. I guess I don't really care. You know what I mean? If, If those things are still happening, why does it matter I don't know, or do, do, it really maybe does matter because it's not true to you I could. I think that's a so fundamental I'm not ethical, ethical question that's like, like, like an objective good subjective
5: good yeah. type. It's this is where like the rabbis would jump in and they would
0: say, yeah you're doing the good uh, but their hearts are good, yeah yeah back and forth I mean
5: I think,
1: yeah
3: I mean I guess the question is, is from my perspective is does your ill intention color your action if you honestly take the real right action and your heart's not in it then who cares? <laughs> like, really? in my perspective. I'm like,
1: never going to know. Right.
3: Totally. And if you're doing really the right thing, and not, not like, a, a weird version of the right thing because your heart's not in it, like a half-assed right thing, but, like, the real right thing. Because, I mean, sacrifice. You know, I mean? Like, okay. I thought we weren't going to talk about Jesus, but it, he was the first one that came to mind. Like, was Jesus really happy about getting on the cross? Like, no. You know what I mean? Like...
0: It was a joyful PTL experience. <laughs> no. Anyways, uh, me. it's
4: It's funny that we bring this up because... I, I struggle with that, too, but um, I'm kind of with Liz that if you're doing the, quote, right thing, who gives a crap what your intentions were or where your heart is. And I'm going to put on my Christian hat. Sorry. Um, in one of Paul's epistles I was just reading this morning or, or yesterday, Paul's addressing some church leaders that are apparently using the church and and the good news As a way to serve themselves out of greed and all this stuff. And he says like, in the end, they're spreading good news, so whatever. But these guys... He doesn't like... um, The gospel's being preached. Let him
0: him do it. He's like, at least least there's that. I guess that's the question. So if if God or whomever you want to speak of of that name or whatever that is to you, there's something else that's going to judge that intention. And who is it to you? If Andy does something... I'm not Andy. I let it go. Let it go. Because whatever is going to judge him, I can't judge him. I'm not his judge. I, I do tend to but normally we don't really, operate. Yeah.
1: Not all religions have the judge thing. So. Right. Right. Well,
0: that's, what I, that's why I said that. Yeah. H- here's here's, why, yeah. History is our
2: judge. And here's where long-term repercussions matter. Um, so we could say the right thing is to give X community as much food as they need so they survive. Um, And we can have that program. We're giving X community as much food as they can have so they can survive. We can have that for 200 years. And eventually you're at a point where now there's a dependency. Now you have so much other stuff that's involved in doing that good thing that, yeah, you were doing the right thing by helping that community. But when you look back, what has happened because of that? What kind of negative repercussions have that been? And so a lot of times, even if it's you're doing the exact same thing that I'm doing for different motives or with different backing or different explanation behind it, um, can have those long term repercussions yeah. to is this just happening because we always do it, or is this happening because we want systemic justice or some sort of change or some sort of societal acceptance of a
1: community. Well, I think that's a, a, oh, sorry. I'm so sorry. sorry. I was just gonna say I think that's such a great point in the sense of in some ways, in a situation like that, mm-hmm. the people who are giving are almost in some ways almost want to perpetuate that giving thing so they can right. feel good about that giving. And they don't want to create programs or facilities where there don't have to be programs, or there don't have to be facilities, because then they can't be doing their good things. Right. Yeah.
4: You know, how how would Americans feel better about themselves if we didn't have the homeless? We would. Mm-hmm. How would capitalism work?
3: Oh
0: my gosh. That's, <laughs> a, se- that's a segue into the next
3: podcast.
0: <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> yeah, the next episode's gonna be God and Empire. The Empire Strikes Back? Question mark. <laughs> it is a question mark. That's his sub- That's my sub. I like titles, but I don't want to leave this episode yet. Can we do a? lightning round, can we do this on, what, what does it mean to be sacrificial, dedicated, devoted, zealous, and yet not... An asshole. Yes.
2: Jesus. This was a rabbi who said that we're not going to treat power as zero-sum, and so we're not going to say that we have to take power from them in order to be powerful, and we're not going to use oppression to get back at the oppressor. Um, I think, as a Christian, we've had that modeled, at least in my understanding. So I would say... The Sunday school answer of Jesus is the answer. What
5: so that, what y- your answer? you're asking, um, what's zealot and passionate and without being extremist, right? But well, you could be an. Ex- oh, right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> how, how, like, so, so <laughs> <I don't laughs> like it. It's <Which>
5: <laughs> <laughs> how, how are you? All the things
0: that this story. And how are we?
5: Personal. Brings it, up what is uh,
0: it, it, it is personal. If, if if it means something to you, it's personal. If the story whether happens, it's, means whether something. Or... Yeah. And how you? Oh, did, how what does do the it?
3: story of Hanukkah mean to us? Well,
0: that was the question, question I answered. That <laughs> was
3: not. Yeah, I'm sorry.
4: <laughs> well, the, I'm trying to bring things out of. This me. is going to be so hard to edit. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so hard.
1: Just let it run.
0: <laughs> let it run. You got kids. <laughs> I did <do> have kids. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. So, and the, and the question that Liz ended with, "Don't be an asshole," because if we take this story literally today, it's easy to say. It's even like Joshua, the conquest. It's to go in and. You know, after the horns blow and the walls come down, we're going to go in and we're going to tear some heads off.
1: Well, I think part of it is that it's a big component of this is that we fought to get to this point, and so now let's really enforce that. If we fought so hard to be able to carry out this practice, then we should be doing it. And that's where that idea of, in my personal opinion, of being zealous comes from is if this is important for if this is important enough to us to fight for it to be persecuted over, then at the end of the day, it should also now that we have the ease of we've we've won and we've come out at the end of it, it should still be important to us. Not just because we wanted to fight for something, we fought for something and we got it, and now let's let's keep fighting in our own way when it's not as physical, but in our own in our in our home, let's fight for it.
0: I like that. Anybody else have anything else to add? I forgot what the question was.
5: Quite honestly, zealot to me has a very pejorative image already so I don't really I don't feel like it balances very well um but kind of going off of what Shoshana was saying um I also feel like it's not overstepping your boundaries in a way like if you have authority um the only term I can think of and it's it's extremely unique to my to my history but um like unrighteous dominion exercising unrighteous dominion um Improper authority in taking advantage and um, it can it all it does is bring back to this teaching from the story of uh, um, in, in it's in, in, uh, in the Torah that talks about um, You know when you conquer a land don't cut down their trees So you want to fight the war in the moment, but you don't want the you, you don't want to kill out this whole This whole group of people so it's not like oh just because you have this authority right now you should just like You should just kill everyone. You should just finish off this whole group of people. I think that part of it is is understanding the power you have and not abusing it.
3: I can give a Buddhist answer and a a Taoist answer, which I think about a lot. Which is that the Buddhist answer is, of course, like like suffering stops with us. Like as as good people trying to do good things, like things happen to us and they're bad, and we acknowledge that they are bad. And, and yet we say our response is to maintain equanimity and to respond with a sense of you're a human and I'm a human and we're going to talk about this or we're going to relate to each other as humans who make mistakes and who hurt each other and who also do great things and who are also inherently good. So but this idea of like the suffering stops with me is I think a really powerful Buddhist theme. <clears throat> and the Dao- the that Dao- would tell you or the Confucius would tell you that um, it is, of course, just for people to have great power and to exercise great power over humans, but it doesn't work unless they are constantly looking within themselves to do what's right at all times. Otherwise, it's just force.
1: Not going to hit the notes, but, um, to sing the blessing over the lighting of the candles. It goes, Barakatah Adonai photo for Don't forget to share the brew.